This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. Well, I've made my applesauce. We've got a lot in the freezer. And the season is really just booming. Wonderful apples. And there are so many you pick orchards in our tri-state area. We all have favorites. I'm going to give you three that we have frequented that you're going to enjoy. One is called Jenkins Lucan Orchards on Route 299 West in New Paltz. And their fields are open Saturday and Sunday from 9 to 6. During the week, they have a smaller amount of areas near their farm stand. Over 500 apple trees waiting for you and pumpkins too. So it's in a great location and they're also very close to the Mohonk Mountain House, the Mohonk Preserve, and a state park preserve so you can hike, go mountain biking. This is a family business. They've been in the fruit business for over 50 years, and they have 20 varieties for self-picking. A small bag, that's about a quarter of a bushel, is 20 bucks, and a half bushel is 30. They make wonderful apple cider, too. And then, oh my gosh, for as many years as I've been in this business, I've been talking about Masco Orchards in Warwick, New York. They're open every day, seven days a week. The family has been involved in this for over a 100 years. Beautiful area, the Hudson Valley. And this is a lovely town with a great Sunday farmer's market, a lot of vineyards and wineries, a lot of places to eat. And, of course, if you're a shopper, you're very near Woodbury Common, so you can hit the designer stores. It's only 20 minutes away. Masca continues to be a great option. Not only do they have a lot of lot of apples, but you get a picking bag with a map, all the varieties identified. It's very family-friendly. They have a haunted house. They have an apple maze. Lots of music and a little country store that sells jams, pies, cider. Terrific. And a snack bar is open on weekends. Now, where I live on the East End, there's the Milk Pail. And that's a Yupik Farm, 50 Horse Mill Lane in Watermill. And it's open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 10 to 5.30. And it will actually be open tomorrow, Monday, for Columbus Day. They have really fabulous apples, all kinds of delicious varieties. They have a lot of pumpkins. They have what I like when you have the little kids, dwarf apple trees. So select anything you want. They have beautiful sunflowers, and it's a great pleasure. They're a little expensive, and they do take credit cards, but they charge a fee, which I sort of find annoying, but what can I tell you? And it's a beautiful part of the world. So if you want to come out to the Hamptons, it will be crowded, but it's fun. And I'll tell you what I do. In fact, 
I get their apples. I just bought from them some macoons. I didn't pick, but I bought. And I microwave them. It's so easy. I core them a little bit, and I stuff if I have dried fruit or raisins, little butter, and I mix orange juice and maple syrup and baste it. And I put it in the microwave for like seven minutes, eight minutes. You can test it. And it is really delicious. And, of course, we make applesauce using a food mill. I bought it in the hardware store for a couple of bucks. And I just take the apples. I wash them. I don't peel them. I don't do a thing. I put them in a pot with a little water and cinnamon sticks, cook them for about 20 minutes, and they start melting. And then I put them right through the steel Seeing the steel food mill. And honestly, you have the best applesauce you've ever tasted. And I use usually an applesauce mixture, but I do like to throw macoons in because they're very sweet. Anyway, guys, it's a happy holiday. Enjoy every minute of it and enjoy the fruits of the season. We've got a lot of show coming, so stay tuned. I'm Joan Hamburg for WABC. First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. All right, everyone, a special treat. I'm giving myself a present. I'm (laughs) reconnecting with one of my favorite people in the whole world, my former radio husband. No, we didn't have a radio divorce. We just went in slightly different directions. But now that fall is here... Sort of, and many of us who said we had enough cooking are cooking again. I'm going to give you the guy who always cooks and who is a remarkable cook and knows more about food than almost everyone in the whole world. His name is (laughs) Arthur Schwartz. Arturo. I only know about the Western world, Joan. I've come to realize that I was actually once called a, a, a walking Google of food information by the New York Times, no less. But I only know like half of what I should know now because the world has turned to Asian food, which I only eat. <laughs> I don't cook. I, I try to cook every once in a while, but I'm not good at it. No, but we love Asian food. And <laughs> I, I love Asian food, but, I, you know, you have to have a pantry. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Do. I don't have – I mean, actually, these days I do have – some basic Chinese ingredients in the house. I mean, I always have soy sauce, of course, and sesame oil and rice wine vinegar and rice wine. Yeah, a lot of the goodies. But, you know, I make very simple homey food with that. But right now, as we speak, I am making uh, the olive salad that goes on a mufaletta sandwich. This Explain. is a what basically is a cold cut and cheese sandwich, like what we would call an Italian hero, an Italian mm. sub. Love uh, but that. They, but, in, but in New Orleans, where this is from, invented supposedly, and I believe, at the Central Market, which is still in business and still makes mufalettas. The, you know, the, I, until I went to New Orleans very recently, meaning like just before the pandemic, I really didn't understand what a deep um, influence Sicilians are in New Orleans. And this is one of those things. It's a, it's a supposedly originally a Sicilian bread, although I've been to Sicily many times, mm. have not encountered this very New Orleans bread. And it's filled with 
a whole bunch of cold cuts, like a hero sandwich and cheese. And what's distinctive is this olive salad. Now, you can actually buy and even buy online the olive salad that the central market sells in jars. And I bet you it's good. I'm sure. Yeah, but I decided I had to make my own. So tell and me what process that is. So this is it. Is. I'm doing it. This is the first time I've ever done the whole salad. But there is a restaurant um, near me. Uh, called Low Line, which is a neighborhood in New Orleans. Uh, the Low Line is a small counter and several tables only restaurant on Washington Avenue in Crown Heights. Um, anyway, it, 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 it makes a great mufaletta and po' boys and gumbo and all mm. those things. Uh, but I decided uh, to try You're that my hand do it. So I look it up. I look it up in books. And actually, I don't have any New Orleans cookbooks because I actually gave them away to a young friend in, who lives in New Orleans, but is from New Orleans. But and he has a food radio show in New Orleans. So I thought, well, he should know these books. Anyway, I looked it up everywhere I could look it up, and then I decided to make up my own mixture. So I'm making six. I bought yesterday six ounces of pitted, pitted. Yes. Green olives, the big green olives. So, is there red? Uh, is there pimento? No, no. Without, just plain. you know what? It's it, some of the recipes call for pimento stuffed olives. Uh-huh. However, I happen to have a jar of pickled sweet peppers in the fridge that I'm trying to get rid of. So, I I bought the the, the pitted already pitted ones without anything inside them, and six ounces is quite a lot actually. Yeah. And I sliced them as thinly as I could, and then I. Pitted uh, uh, four ounces of gaeta olives, which I also always have in the house. Um, you could use Niçoise olives. You could use so you have uh, some two of those, kinds. Those, those, those uh, uh, dried, you know, black olives. That's very good in this. But a dark olive, uh, f- fewer than the green olive. And I, I'm in the middle of slicing them up. I pitted them myself. And then what do you do? And then wait, wait, wait. There's a lot more, Joan. A lot more. A couple of rounded tablespoons of minced shallot. Mm. Um, I would say about. I'm gonna. I'm gonna judge this as I go. About a half teaspoon of dried thyme. About maybe even as much as a teaspoon of dried oregano. And I would say a quarter of a cup of uh, chopped parsley. Um, you want uh, some extra olive oil? Now, I, I'm sure that the one that comes in a jar is not going to have the oil that I'll put in mine, which is really good Sicilian olive oil. Um, about a quarter of a cup, maybe a third of a cup, we'll see. Uh, what else is going to go in there? Oh, so I'm, I'm going to mince up these pickled peppers. And, and include put that them? In there. Is- That'll be the red in there. It's very pretty, isn't it? Exactly. Oh, and celery. I almost forgot an important part. So you I'm, mince the celery. I mince celery and I would say two rounded tablespoons. And do you saute or is it no, cold? No, no, no. It's all raw. Uh-huh. It's all raw. And then just and then I would say let it and and some pepper. Um, I might put in a hot red pepper since I have such good one in the house. But you know, black pepper is good too. And, and then let, I would say let it sit for at least several hours. I am not making these sandwiches today. Fact is, I'm trying to, you know, I'm I'm on this ketogenic diet where I don't eat bread, and Uh-oh. so a big treat a big treat for me is bread. So that sandwich is so the a sandwich special. is going to be a big treat this weekend, probably. Okay, just for you guys. No company. No, it's big enough. I have to invite somebody over to. Uh, next door, Ellen and her 
my next door neighbor probably, okay. and, and 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 perhaps her boy. I don't know. I I give things away these days, Joan. I had to bake last week. Why? I, uh, just like just that? Just because you know we don't eat sweets, and then when you crave sweets, you don't want to waste it on some commercial thing. So what'd you make? So I made this uh, this, and it was small. That was one of the selling points for this recipe. I clipped this from the New York Times. It wasn't in the food section. It was one of those page three recipes. Yeah, yeah. And I, Melissa Clark wrote it up, but it's a, a, a what's his name from Sullivan Street Bakery recipe. Oh, well, he's good. So he's very good. So what so was I, it? And it's an eight inch, um, an eight inch banana cake. Mm. Yeah, and it uh, uh, and you know it's not not something I should be eating every day, but I don't. <laughs> and so you made. But I it? gave half of it to Ellen next door. Did it have frosting? No, 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 no. It's a simple, simple cake. Go take a look. It's 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 a mashed banana, uh, egg, but a lot of butter, um, and oh, and had chocolate chips in it. And, and by the way, Melissa's description was excellent because she said it's it's light, but and but also toffee like. And she was right, especially when it's fresh out of the oven. I mean, you know, you really should cool this thoroughly before you cut into it. Sounds so but it, good. But, but I it, it ended up, it was light, but the middle was toffee-like. I think there's a tablespoon of molasses in there, and the, the main sugar is brown sugar, or mm. light brown sugar. Oh, that's good. Yeah, but the cho- strangely, it had, and it had a third of a cup of chocolate bits, semi-sweet chocolate Did you bits. add, you did add them. Of course I added them. <laughs> this is going to be a it's, treat. I'm doing the whole thing. It sounds really yes, good. Yes, but it didn't. The thing is this. You didn't really taste chocolate, per se. The chocolate sort of added to the toffee-like consistency mm, it, of the honestly, center you, of the cake. You're making it was an excellent hungry. cake, but, you know, an eighth of that cake was all I allowed. Myself. All right. Well, I'm proud of you. I think that's fantastic. I've been making apple cake, and then, you know, the uh, apples, of course are abundant now. And then I thought, i got to stop this because, you know, I am a sweet eater. You've never been a huge sweet eater. No, but now that I don't eat sweets, I crave sweets. I understand. But only certain things. You know, I I really, I haven't had ice cream in a long time, um, and I really am craving ice cream lately. So what, at the end of a meal, you just... Fruit. That's it? You get We eat a lot of melon. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, watermelon, it's a fallacy, by the way, that watermelon is uh, high sugar, not good for diet. I love watermelon. I love watermelon. Watermelon is sort of over now. I know. But the honeydews have been sensational. The cantaloupes have been sensational. And for the first time, you know, they now have mandarins or clementines, whatever you call them, all year long. I don't trust it. So, but I I broke down yesterday because at Whole Foods they were a serious on sale. sale? I, pay, I think I paid like four dollars for this big bag of mandarins. So I bought a bag, and we'll see. I had one yesterday. It was a little tart, but I, but it's very but refreshing. It helps, yeah. It's very refreshing at the end of. You know, I love it, and you know what I've been doing because I'm trying not to eat as many sweets. So of course I'm sweet, but in a different direction. I I make this. Literally six, seven minute baked apple in the microwave. I'm not a big uh, microwave person. Right, tell but me, tell me. But I, peel, I have to say that one medium apple, which is only a four ounce apple, right. that's really a small apple, has as many carbs as I should be eating in an entire really? day. Really? I thought yeah, apples, apples were not- are very high carb. Well, this not is not as high as you know tropical fruit, right? But still, well. 
this, they may not do it then. I, I, I bought apples yesterday, intending to do something with them, but now I'm not sure. Well, we made applesauce, but I want. also kept a few of the macoons out. And I just peeled the top. You know, I leave yeah. the skin on. Yeah, yeah. And I core it, and yeah. I put... Whatever dried fruit I have in the house, like I always have apricots and mm-hmm. I do apricots and raisins, whatever I have, dried cranberries. How long in the microwave? Well, wait, I you six to eight minutes depending. You have to check. Right. And I just stuff the dried fruit in the middle with a little tiny bit of butter. Mm-hmm. And then I make a little thing of orange juice and maple syrup. <laughs> <laughs> And I pour that over it. I'm trying to think if there's anything in this dish that I can eat. Apricots, good for you. No, not at all. Are you kidding me? Mm. And no dried fruit. I have not, let me say, in the day when I needed to check my blood sugar every day or several times a day, I noted right away that any dried fruit shot me up way beyond what I should be. So I stopped. And there is something that that, that I love to make. And and it was after this... It's a chicken with simis, with with prune and carrot. Mm. It's very good, and honey and ginger. It's a delicious recipe, and you know you got to save it for Rosh Hashanah once a year, maybe. But the point is, um, I can't eat dried fruits. Let me say the point is that since I'm on this diet, which is a little over a year now, Joan. Yes. Um, my arthritis has dramatically improved. No, it's almost non-existent. How fabulous! Um, uh, my all my blood work is perfect. Oh, that's um, exciting! My blood sugar is low. My blood pressure is low. So wait, let's make sure the audience understands. You have eliminated carbohydrates. A lot of carbs. You're eating no, most carbs. Are you I eating? I only eat now only because my endocrinologist said, you know, Arthur, you could eat a few more carbs. So what? Do you- I graduated from honeydew to uh, from uh, canned loaf to honeydew, which is higher. Okay. No, we eat we eat protein, a lot of vegetables, and fat. And if you're true ketogenic, Bob is not, by the way. He right. eats a high carbohydrate breakfast. He eats uh, uh, a bran cereal and a banana. And what do you have? In the and morning? I have these days. I change all the time, but mm-hmm. these days I just have some cheese. So this morning I had a little gouda. Uh huh. Um, I was eating I had different cheese. I changed my cheeses. Uh, some if, when I go to the store where I like it, I, I, I get myself herring to last a few days. I uh-huh. love herring for breakfast, um, and I could put either yogurt or sour cream on that. Wow! Um, I, we eat a lot of a lot of salads. Um, a lunch, a big salad with protein. No, in it. we we eat our main meal at midday because you know why not. We, so we, why we would a do typical that. No, lunch we, if we have salad, we'll have it at dinner. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because it's better to have that light meal at dinner. Right. So, yeah, what so would... in, fact, in fact, yesterday we had a big, big salad with some with tuna, and I've gotten Bob to eat tuna without mayonnaise. Although there's no reason we can't have mayonnaise. No, it should be on that diet. It is. It is for sure. But let me say that um, analyzing myself and him. Mm-hmm. We, we calories count, so you you know in the beginning of the keto diet you can you it's wonderful you can eat all these high fat things right and not think about it. However, after a while you got to think about it mm-hmm. because it really is about how many cal. Either I exercise more than I do now, 
which I'm trying to do. Right. Uh, the, the, our pool just opened, or didn't just open, but I only found out it just opened. So, mm-hmm. or I just found out it opened. So I'm going to register there and start swimming again. Okay, that's But we great. walk. But the thing is, unless you expend those calories with exercise, it you, won't lose, you won't lose weight after a while. I mean, I'm on this diet for a year, and I've lost at least 50 pounds. Oh, wow. And no uh, pasta? I cannot believe. I, don't, I haven't had a, a, a real pasta dish since last Thanksgiving. Oh, my God. I thought of you because but Lizzie... But it's not something I'm missing, Joan. I it's think very strange. amazing. Cause and I, I, was ta- I was talking to a friend of mine in Rome, a Roman man, uh, Roberto, and he had a little heart issue last year. Uh-huh. And so he's been dieting also. and uh, And more or less... A low carb diet also, maybe not as low as I am, but he said he doesn't miss pasta and he's Roman. I know. He, I can't believe he misses that. bread. Well, I, that indul- I, and for me too, my indulgence is, is bread. bread. Well, I want to tell you this one, Lizzie eats pasta like you used to. It's her main yeah. thing. Yeah. And the other night she bought from the farm uh, fresh butternut squash mm-hmm. and she made a pasta with butternut squash and kale mm. and toasted um, panko mm. with walnuts that she ground up in some Parmesan cheese. Sounds really good. Oh, my, it was, it was so butternut delicious. Butternut squash is, is one of those vegetables that I don't eat. However, I have been craving. It's another thing, a stupid thing to crave, butternut squash. What? No, but I've been craving it. So what I'm going to – and I make a dish – all the time, I used to all the time, a butternut squash with sausage. Oh, um, I love that. And yeah, you, you know, sausage. I love out of charcuterie the, sausage. So sausage anything. out of the casing, mm-hmm. uh, uh, butternut squash. You boil it all to, and with rosemary it. and garlic, and you boil it all together. And when the squash is tender enough to smash, uh-huh. you smash it up at the back of your spoon, and it's a divine pasta oh, dressing. However, I keep thinking, you know, the butternut squash is already a high-carb thing, but maybe I should just make it into a soup, which would probably be very good. Delicious. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to making that. Right. And a Canyon Ranch, if you remember, yeah. they would take butternut squash and mash it with maple syrup. Oh my gosh! I used I'm to... sorry, Joan. That is like maybe the worst thing for you. It is. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing at Canyon Ranch, but they're taking a high sugar vegetable and adding sugar to it. I really liked it. I mean, of course you did. It was maple syrup, and you like sweets. I like sweets, Arthur. I'm talking to the one and only Arthur Schwartz. Thank you, dear Arthur. All right. Well, uh, let me just end this with my one encounter with. Um, the name just went from Who? Do I silent, know them? Silent, yes, you do. Silent, silent film actress, Gloria. DeHaven? No. <laughs> Sounds like. Gloria. <laughs> I, I, wait, wait. You, uh, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. De, wait, well, how could you not remember the name? How could you not remember the name? Well, wasn't in my head. You're older than I am. <laughs> Not that much. You're catching anyway, up, honey. I said my it'll kids. It'll come to me if I don't think about it. But but what I once I once uh, had this encounter with her, and it was her birthday. So whoever was hosting this party for her rolled out this enormous birthday cake okay. for her, and she started screaming because she was totally uh, she she was a vegan, right? And without sugar. 
way before anybody. Wait a second. I'm going to have to go in the other room and ask Bob who this is. It's going to kill me. All right, well, tell me the story. And and then the the punchline is, she said, you're going to kill me. You're going to kill me. And the host said, what are you talking about? She says, it's sugar. Bob, who said that? It's, I'm ready for... Thank you, Gloria Swanson. Oh. Do you want to poison me? Do you want to poison me? He's correcting my own anecdote. <laughs> Do you want to poison me? Yeah, who doesn't remember Gloria Swanson? Well, I've, I've learned. I have, a, I have a very, very adorable, wonderful physical therapist who's only in his early 40s. And now I know what people in their early 40s don't know. Well, they certainly don't know that. Thanks. Well, you know, unless they're movie buffs. Yeah, well, okay, or if they My godson, Max the... Gross. Oh, by the way, I don't, maybe you noticed, maybe Max won yet another award for his book, uh, The Lost Shtetl. No, I thought, I told totally, you, I really like that And it's an option for a TV book. series. Good. Thank, and it's going to, and it's probably going to star, well, he wants to star in it, Michael Ohlone. Do you know oh, Michael Ohlone? Well, not personally. No, but Shtetl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You should have both of them on I your sh- program. You know what? I will, and I'm glad you reminded me. And I've got to let you go. All right, go because ahead. We're I'm running out of take time. My walk. Goodbye. Love to Bob, and we'll talk soon. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to my pal Arthur Schwartz on WABC. Stay tuned. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg, entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. All right, everyone, we love celebrating food and everything that involves. It's our persistence of memory, our Proustian experiences. And I have many friends in the food world, restaurant owners, people who make things, and we have been suffering along with them during this pandemic. The food industry has been hit really hard. And even though people are told, you know, welcome, come back, It's still an industry that's having a terrible time. I just finished reading Peter Hoffman, his memoir. He calls it What's Good, a Memoir in 14 Ingredients. And Peter is one of the incredible food people, not only in the country, but all over. He was chef owner of one of my favorite restaurants many years ago, Savoy, and um, Back 40, He was, you know, everyone says they're the first, but it was really what Peter could find at the farmer's market. It was farm to table that we didn't quite name it then, but Peter was the big person behind it. And he constantly wrote about it and explained to us all the different things that are going on in the food world. The book is a fascinating read. It's not only the memoir of what it takes to be a chef, to be in the food business. It's got ingredients. It explains everything about the ingredients that we all use. It has recipes. It's about history. It's about family and friendships. It's really quite amazing. Peter, I'm so happy to have you with me this morning. And you did an incredible job because you explained the pain, the joy, and everything that it takes to be in this crazy world of food. Yeah. Thank you, Joan. And really, your explanation just now really sums up the book in many in, in many ways. And, and it does have that breadth. It's not just a chef memoir, pull back the curtain and um, see the gritty side of restaurant life. It is about 
pain and joy and family and and awesomeness of um, the natural world and how we bring that into our lives through the food that we buy and the and and the food that we prepare. But your family, like so many families who came to this country, who made it, who want everything for their kids, your dad, he was, so he wanted you though to be involved in something other than food initially. Yeah, you know, finding a career, finding a path, um, not following in the, in the professional direction that, that he expected, um, or that my parents kind of expected was was tough it, there was a way that um they wanted to see me go down a more more white collar path and i think that there were no models out there at the time um sh- what chef world could look like as as there are today um you know there of course people knew who james beard and julia child were right. but um those weren't people they they were um, they were cooking teachers or they, you know, they were on television and writing books and things like that. It wasn't um, in in the business and, uh, you know, in the restaurant business. And so um, they were worried that I was just going to become a short order cook somehow. Um, and uh, it took a while for everybody to settle down and realize that this was both a path of passion for me um, and uh, a worthy passion that um, was going to be fulfilling for me um, as as an individual, and 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 that it really is and was far more than just sort of slinging hash. It was a way to explore history and um, and cultures and cuisines and um, develop technique. Um, at mastery, you know, that, that there was a practice there. And my father clearly appreciated being a dentist and um, be, being really proud of his craft. He, he appreciated people who were um, developing a practice. Right. And in the beginning, you know, I, it was funny. We, I always say if I had come home and said to my family, I'm going to be a chef, they would have fallen on the floor. You know, it was so yeah. out of their realm of possibility. And a couple of years later, oh, my son, my daughter's a chef, a famous chef. So right. it, it changed. And, of course, you changed the way we look at food with a little restaurant. I still remember going up the stairs. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard to get a reservation because you were really little. In the beginning, yep, we were small. It, it, yep, it, it was. You know, we took over it. Um, we took over a luncheonette that was on the corner of um, Prince and Crosby Street, which is sort of a backwater of Soho. And Soho was um, at that time was about art galleries and and idiosyncratic kinds of craft businesses and things like that. It, um, and um, and it was you and a Chinese restaurant. I remember that we used to go kind to. Kind of, yeah. And so my wife, Susan, and I um, found the property and, and realized that it was um, that it had that it had good bones and that it was. Um, I don't know that you know. Sometimes there's there there is feng shui to um, p- 
pieces of real estate and the corner felt good and the building felt right, even though it needed a lot of renovation. And so we did that. And, and, and then we were this wonderful um, beacon of light in, in a sort of a dark and um, uh, forgotten corner of Soho. And then in time um, that, you know, it expanded, they came to us um, and, uh, and then down the block, I don't know what year it was, but Balthazar is a, is a block away. Right. He took over what was, you know, when I needed to get a piece of paper notarized, I used to go into this shop with a, um Orthodox Jewish man selling um, end rolls of fabric mm. and uh, get my thing, my paper notarized for a dollar. And, and, and Keith McNally took over that space and turned it into, um, you know, a very grand recreation of a, of a, Parisian brasserie. Um, so uh, lots of changes in the neighborhood over time. And um, in the early years, the galleries were there, the, the artists, the, the dealers. Um, so it was really the downtown creatives of New York were our clientele and we got to know them and we traded art for food um, or food for art. Um, and that was exciting to be um Part of that. In, in that world and, and appreciated by people who um, who were um, creatives themselves and saw us in, in that light. Um, and uh, then in time, the neighborhood changed and um, rents went up and it became more about shopping. And, and then it became about um, brand shopping, you know, uh, national uh, brands that, that moved in. And, and then it was, you know, it. it it, it was no longer about um, creative people coming to um, uh, see what we were coming up with and developing and sharing, but rather they just needed their um, a protein bomb after uh, being exhausted of buying lots of things on the street. And, and so we were perceived differently and we, and the clientele was different. And um, so lots of changes over time um, as the economy changes and the demographics change. Right. I'm talking but, to Peter Hoffman, What's Good, his brand new memoir, his memoir on 14 ingredients. And as Peter says, I gentrified myself out of a job at one point. Right. And that's what happened in all these neighborhoods. But think about, I love restaurants because they're theater, they're drama, they're family, they're home. And your restaurant had all that. It was yeah. so welcoming, it, it and the food was so delicious, and we ate things that we didn't ordinarily eat because you knew everything in the farmer's market and brought it back, and we learned all kinds of new things. So I miss that, and I'm curious. Mm-hmm. And your book is out, and you've, which is almost cathartic, I'm sure, for you when you look back at this mm-hmm. incredible journey, but. What does it take today? The world is so different in the last couple of years. What does it take to do what you do? Could someone start that journey and end up being a chef with a wonderful little restaurant? Well, I think there are people still um, out there doing that. It's, it's uh, you know, I think there are a number of things that have happened, even pre-pandemic um, areas like um Soho, where the rents had gotten so high, then um, young entrepreneurial 
cooks were going further out into the boroughs or actually choosing not to be in New York anymore, that, that um, sort of in that right. searching for balance of life, how much time do you spend commuting, um, what's the, what do the neighborhoods feel like? I mean, there, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there weren't good restaurants really in all the secondary and tertiary cities of the United States. And um, people started to go like, I don't need to pay this rent. I don't need to spend an hour and a half um, each way commuting. Um, and they moved to Knoxville and St. Louis and um, uh, Columbus and, you know, all kinds of cities that now support chefs doing thoughtful cooking. And uh, so that's that's a great thing. That And as I said, that's pre-pandemic. Um, the other Another change that occurred, and it is sort of during the time of the pandemic, is people started to say, um, how do we how do we cook? How do we build businesses that aren't just about chasing um, rich people's dollars? Right. You know that um, I want to do something creative and interesting and artistic, but is not just wanting to be. Um, uh, in pursuit of the the top tier of cooking for the one percent, or you know, just under that, and I, and I think there's some very interesting models that that people are coming up with have come up with. One, of course, is there were again pre-pandemic there were people doing pop-ups that they said, I don't need to have a full-time restaurant and a and a bricks and mortar place. I'm gonna um, I've got my skills right here in my knife bag and in my hands, and I'm, uh, I'm and I do can. It. I'm going to do it. I'm going to let people know. I'm going to do it through Instagram or whatever, and people will show and they'll give me some money and um, and we'll move on and I can pay my rent from a one-off kind of thing. Um, but I think also that uh, people, uh, restaurants, it, during the pandemic started to see that, that there were ways that they wanted to try and address certain equity issues and not just do um, – uh, their work and then do a, um, a gala dinner and donate their time <clears throat> for that single night, mm-hmm. but rather say, I have skills. Can I cook for multiple streams? You know, can I enter the, the marketplace in different, at, at different levels and different kinds of ways? And, um, and I, so I think that that's one thing that we're going to see continue to develop and, um, and, and express. And so that um, even now there are, there are, you know, in the way that Jose Andreas um, has been out there in the world with his organization and then um, hiring kitchens, hiring restaurateurs to um, yeah, he's, help address yeah. the issue. And, and as I said, it's not just on a, uh, a one-off basis. It's, it's um, those kitchens, those individual houses are um, have multiple revenue streams, and some of it's cooking, and they're cooking for different populations. So I, I think there's some interesting things I, there, but there are challenges, right? Um, um, in the same way that Savoy pioneered the idea of um, buying good ingredients and educating our diners about what goes mm-hmm. into good ingredients and why they might pay more for food in my restaurant than they do somewhere else. I think the same um, 
issues, the same uh, examination is now happening around labor. And, Which is um, a huge and, issue in the business. Yeah, you know, because there was a way that, I mean, there were, uh, I don't want to completely blame it on, again, on the high-end restaurants, but uh-huh. there's, there's, a, there's a whole culture in which in the high-end restaurant that this is where you have to work and you have to submit yourself to this grand, um, you know, creative uh, chef and they're going to abuse you, whether it's how they speak or how you're treated right. or how many hours Screaming. you work. Um, and uh, and that's the only way that you're going to get anything good on your resume to get to the next spot and the next level. And, and what that um, and that's not that's that's not a healthy environment. And it's also not a sustainable environment to, to work in. And so people a lot of people in the pandemic then kind of said, like, I'm out. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. It's not too much of it's not health. It's not it's not a it's not a healthy place to be, both because of. Um, how close everybody was and, and the pandemic, the virus, right? But it's also not a healthy place for, um, my, my, my soul, my spirit and, um, and, and people have gotten out. So the, the business and the culture of the business now has to go through some major changes. Right. And we're seeing um, them and, slowly. Yeah, slowly. It takes time. And part of that's also going to be that going out for dinner costs more because if you want to run a house that has a better culture, you're going to have to pay people more or you're going to have to have more cross training so that you can um, move people in and out and respond to um, uh, their needs, the personal, their private needs, as opposed to work, you know, depending on someone that's working um, 60 or 70 hours a week. Um, and uh, that means that it's going to cost more to go out for dinner. And, and, and I guess I feel in some ways like that's a good thing. And um, it may cause a retraction uh, in the number of businesses or the health of some businesses. And people may, um, but the flip side of that is that people may cook more at home and um, connect more to their food and, um, uh, and take pleasure in cooking for themselves and, developing a practice just like my dad had pride in uh in what repetition gave him Mm -hmm. in terms of his skills repetition in your home at the cutting board at the stove those are those are wonderful um you know self-gratifying kinds of experiences as well without without any um issues there but still because so many of us have spent the last couple of years you know, three meals a day really in the kitchen. And I love the kitchen. I love to cook. But nothing, I mean, the pleasure of having a wonderful meal in a special restaurant, I think we're going to see a lot of that. I'm talking to Peter Hoffman and his memoir, What's Good, takes you on an incredible journey through a very different time in New York and really up to today and all the people you meet who crossed Peter's way, including Anthony Boudin. You knew him when he first started out and explain he too. You're sort of like the high end, but he was taking a lot of shortcuts like chefs were doing then to mm-hmm. try to raise the profit. And there are all the names that you know a part of Peter's journey. So, Peter, would you now 
Your memoir is finished. You've had fabulous restaurants. Would you do it again? Is this the time for someone like you? Oh, well, um, would I do, will I do it again in the present? The answer to that is no. Um, what I, uh, I, you know, I spent 26 years at it, Joan, and that was great. And, um, I really feel like, um, there are so many things to do in this life and we only have one. Um, so I want to sort of explore and, and, and let it, let it go elsewhere and, and see where things take me. What part of what I realized was that, um, I really enjoyed the writing process and, um, and you're good um, at and, it. Yeah. Thank you. I, I worked hard at it and the, um, uh, the pandemic was good for me in a certain way because there was nowhere to go. There was, right. um, the, there was, you know, I couldn't procrastinate too much, um, and, um, take a catering gig or go have lunch with somebody. Um, but rather I went to my desk and, and um, sat down and, and wrote. And, um, so I want to continue writing and continue telling stories. Um, you know, uh, as you, as you said, the title of the book is What's Good, a Memoir and 14 Ingredients. And the ingredient side of the book, um, you know, if, if the memoir chapters are about the business of cooking and how I developed as right. a chef and, and what it was like to run a restaurant, the other side of the book is um, is what thrills me. What what are my passions? What are Who are my muses? And um, that's the ingredients. And so I... Um, I had a wonderful time uh, learning more deeply about the foods um, from my farmers at the market, but also doing research and um, pulling ideas together that I would previously had, um, but hadn't had to uh, uh, really develop in a coherent way. And I, I had a great time writing the ingredient chapters. And, um, and I think that part of what they do is, or my, my hope that they do for the reader is they get us out of the head of thinking that we're uh, in charge of the universe, that we have control exactly. um, or dominion. Um, and it, rather that cooking by the seasons, which I do and, and going to the farmer's market reminds me and gets me back in touch with what the seasons are that, um, that, that, um, the natural world, the growing world, plants um, is a a miracle, and and b happening, um, you know, without us, and um, and that uh, that the planet is being shaped by forces that we can't control, or I mean, we mess with, and um, and are changing, you know, around climate collapse and things like that. But that um, the 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 uh, it's a that cooking by the seasons becomes a lesson to me and hopefully to the reader um, of not thinking that humans are um, in charge all the time. All right, Peter and, Hoffman. Um, and, you know. Peter, I'm going to make sure everyone knows I'm talking to you. What's good? And um, as I learned in the book, one of the last green things that are happening are leeks. And when I went to my farmer's market the other day, I looked at my leek and said, I know what to do with you that mm -hmm. I never thought about before. I know how to keep you for a while so you can bring your deliciousness for past the season. 
I thank you so much, Peter. We're oh, thank follow you, Joe. You. Yeah, you know, and I was so thrilled when, when you and your people reached out. You were a big fan of Savoy for a long time, and people would come into the restaurant and say, oh, I, I Joan Hamburg mentioned you on, on, on the show, and I would go like, who, what? I don't even know she was in the restaurant, and it took many visits, I think, before I finally got to right. say, Hello. Hello to you and thank Hello. you in person in the room. And um, uh, so it's nice, so nice to come full circle now and talk with you today and that you um, spent the time with the book that you did. I'm very proud of what I've written and, and, and I'm so glad that it resonated so much for it you. It did. I thank you. And regards to your family, you, I wanted not only to make the pie that your wife make so wonderfully oh, well it was in the one. book i want you to go to her house and eat the pie that yeah. she made all right peter we can continue, take care of that sometime continued success what's good okay. a memoir in 14 ingredients by the one and only savoy's peter hoffman and so many other food adventures and journeys i'm joan hamburg you're listening to wabc the first lady of new york radio this is Ask Joan. All right, I got a lot of Ask Joan questions about Halloween. A lot of listeners said, look, there are a lot of things to do. Some of them are too scary for me to take my kids. I just don't like that. Do you have a thought? Well, I have a really good thought. Have you ever done Boo at the Zoo, the Bronx Zoo? It's a great fall activity. If you love Halloween, you love the zoo, get your costume on, dress up the kids, and head out. Because they have magic and mind-reading shows, pumpkin carving demos, all kinds of things. They are also, they also have animal-themed costumes, still walkers, Animal puppets, it's a lot of fun. So it's called Boo at the Zoo. You get in the spirit of the season, and there are music, things going on, and lawn games, and food. And even at night, they've added night walks that go through the zoo. It's something I love. It's at one of the great zoos in the world. Go on to bronxzoo.com. Particularly, it's on weekends at the zoo, and it's through the 31st, Halloween. So enjoy every single minute. Take the kids. And if you've never been to this zoo, that alone is a treat. All right, guys, we're coming up right to the hour, 3 o'clock. I love your sharing the show with me. We do it every Sunday at 2 o'clock. And don't forget... We do podcasts. We've got two of them. We podcast the show. We have another podcast called Let Me Tell You. We're on Facebook, Instagram, you name it. They're dragging us into this century. I'm Joan Hamburg. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll do it again. Mm-hmm.